This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Amazon Web Services. On this episode, I chat with Rafal Walensky about accelerating DynamoDB workflows using Dynabase. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 56. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm chatting with Rafal Walensky. Hey, Rafal, thanks for joining me. Hey, hi, thanks for having me. So you are the creator of Dynabase and a independent AWS consultant. Can you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what Dynabase is all about? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm founder of Dynabase, professional um, graphical interface for DynamoDB, and also right now an independent AWS consultant mostly focusing on serverless solutions. Um, I'm deeply passionate about AWS and mostly serverless since I think 2016, uh, because I've attended the first serverless conf back in London. And that's why I became so excited about this whole field. Um, I'm running my own blog, which is called Serviceful, because we had so many discussions about what serverless is and how bad name that is for a you know paradigm of technology. So I decided to actually steal the term coined by Patrick Debois, uh, which is service full, because full of services. And um, yeah, I'm writing about serverless, about cloud, and uh, I've recently merged that with my own page, but um, you can still go there. Um, it's going to redirect you. Before going all in into AWS, I was actually making mobile games. I've made a few of them. One of them became even quite popular, which was called Voxel Rush. But my parents saying that making mobile games isn't a real job. <laughs> so that's why I transitioned into making web and cloud. And now I'm here. Less than a year ago, I started Dynabase, uh, which was trying to solve my problems with UX and UI with DynamoDB, but I guess we'll talk about it a little bit later. Right. Yeah. And actually, that's why I want to talk about uh, talk to you about today um, is Dynabase. So you know, uh, you and I, you know, have been communicating for quite some time. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of DynamoDB. Um, I love just the scale of it. I love the, uh, you know, what you can do with it. Rick Houlihan opened up, you know, I think everyone's mind <laughs> or minds with, uh, you know, what you can do in regards to uh, relational structures in there and how you can you can access data in different ways um, and the single table design stuff, which is which is quite fascinating. But um, I really want to get into Dynabase, what it does, you know, what what's the purpose of it? But maybe we start, um, you know, just start at the beginning. Like why did you create Dynabase? Yeah, sure. Actually, there is, a, I think, quite interesting story behind it, because it all started more than a year ago when I was working uh, at X-Team. Uh, I was working on quite a quite big project for the educational space. I was working as AWS uh, DevOps engineer. I was setting up infrastructures. It was all set up on containers. But um, we received a new requirement to create a fully real-time community platform. And our architect, um, Reynard, which is a great friend and also an engineer, approached to me, said that, hey, I know that you're super interested in serverless. I know that you've contributed some pieces to serverless framework and you, 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 you write about it. So maybe we can try evaluating all those new tools that um, AWS released, like AppSync, Amplify, DynamoDB, and try to create something on top of that. And 
that sounded super good because I could finally use serverless technologies on my, at my day job. Um, so we immediately rushed into ev evaluating those tools. Uh, we watched a lot of reinvent session, including Greg Hulihan, uh, about single table design, and it was it was mind blowing and and charming at the same time. Um, but when we were evaluating those tools, we realized that if you would like to use AppSync, we probably have to use Amplify. And if we go with Amplify, we can't go with single table design. Because if you're using Amplify, you're creating um, GraphQL schema, which is then translated to separate DynamoDB tables, mm -hmm. which is not working with single table design super good. Um, so we decided to use serverless framework, DynamoDB, single table, single table design to create everything. And we rushed into the implementation we have, without having um, you know, thought all about testing processes, about debugging, because we decided to learn as we go because we had that opportunity. And when we started implementation, obviously there was a lot of bugs and there was a lot of mistakes. Um, we had our single table design schema um, designed very good. But um, it was a new field for us, so we obviously committed a lot of beginner mistakes. Um, while we were doing that, um, we started checking a lot of data, a lot of records inside DynamoDB, just, just in console, because we needed to check if that specific record was inserted correctly, if the data that is inside database is actually good, or we wanted to modify some record manually. And while I was doing that, I realized that I'm spending definitely too much time switching between browsers, between regions, because between AWS accounts. Because, for instance, you can't have open two separate AWS regions, um, two separate AWS consoles for two regions in one, one browser. And it was actually a pain. The same for regions. So you had to actually kind of hack your browser. You had to have opened many browsers and it was just super messy. There was no browser, there was no bookmarks, there was no history. Um, the scanning speed was, was quite bad. Um, so I decided, that, you know, I'm an engineer. I don't like wasting my time fighting with software. I like automation, I, I like solving stuff. Um, so I decided to hack something really quickly using React and Electron, like a tool which which is going to allow me just query in a little bit easier fashion and that it's going to be easier. Um, yeah, and I've asked a few of my friends who are also working with DynamoDB, which are engineers, if they are sharing the same pains as I'm. And it appeared that a lot of people actually have the same problem with DynamoDB, that the DynamoDB itself is super good. It's super powerful database. It enables like things that you could never imagine before. But the way that you access it, the way you modify records directly, the way you debug it, it's it's not super good, especially if you're working for, with the local uh, version of DynamoDB. You can't easily access what's inside. And while I had that confirmation that it's not only my own problem, because I initially wanted to open source the solution, um, I thought that, hey, I was working in open source space for past five or even more years. I've committed so many lines of code. I've created, I've committed so many things to serverless framework and to other tools, and I haven't received any um, money for it. It was greedy approach, but you know. <laughs> um, so I decided actually to 
turn it into a product and try working, try creating a business of it mm -hmm. because it seemed that many people would pay for solving their problem. And when I realized that, you know, it can actually work, I had this moment of big excitement and I gained a lot of, um, you know, power just to work tirelessly even after my day job, just to finish this UI. Um, I think I did the first prototype in a month. It took me something like 100 hours and um, I was about to release it. I've announced on Twitter to everyone like, hey, in a week, I'm going to show you something really good. I've created this social contract with myself and with my audience that DynamoDB is about to get much, much easier. Mm -hmm. And before releasing the alpha version, um, while browsing Twitter casually one day, I realized that AWS just released no NoSQL Workbench. Right. And <laughs> the moment I saw NoSQL Workbench, I was devastated because, you know, I've spent just the last one month or two and tireless, countless hours and so many nights working on something that I truly believed in. And then comes AWS with some of the world's best engineers and kind of, you know, work, work on the same idea at the same time, probably killing your idea because, you know, if AWS something is, is doing the same thing as you, they probably made it better, right? Um, so even after, even without downloading the software, even without starting it, um, I, the day the NoSQL Workbench appeared, I was devastated. But the next day, actually, I decided like, hey, maybe, maybe let's, let's try, maybe let's download it, maybe let's run. And one thing I've realized is that NoSQL Workbench appeared to be super good tool for designing your data model, for designing your single table design, mm -hmm. um, for, for doing all the things that you're doing before actually jumping into implementation and actually working um, in, the, in the development. Um, while my pains were a little bit different, we already had our single table design um, set up. Right. We only had problems with inspecting the data that is already in, in, in the table. And I thought that my SQL, uh, NoSQL Workbench was actually replicating many of the quirks and different thing, different weird things from the AWS console. So uh, after trying out, I'd say, hey, like, it might sound similar, but these are two, def two definitely different products. They are solving different use cases. And that, um, that feeling gave me enough confidence to actually push forward and release the alpha. And I released it, I think, like a few days after NoSQL Workbench, which might sound a little bit weird. And, you know, <laughs> AWS released their tool. I released my own. But, hey. Uh, and, and their tool is free. Mine is paid. So this is even more weird. Um, and I've released it. And after I've released it, I've, I've let it go. I said, hey, I can finally take a breath. Uh, now I can just rest and see how the money is flowing and you know um guess what the, the product wasn't super polished and not many people were interested in buying it when you have a free alternative right mm -hmm. um i've gradually started to implement the fixes the changes because obviously it was not a super polished product at the very beginning um but somewhere somewhere around beginning of this year one of the customers approached to me saying um hey You've created quite promising piece of software, 
But I think you can do much more when it comes to productization of it, when it comes to the growth, to the mm -hmm. sales, to the strategy. And he proposed me quite ridiculous thing, which is, I can help you with that. Maybe we can become co-founders. And without actually thinking too much, I've jumped on a call with this guy and he seemed fine. So I decided like, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? I can only just waste some time but there's so much to gain and we decided to actually collaborate we signed a contract which was less than one page saying that all the expenses and all the revenues are split 50 50. Mm -hmm. uh, i take care of cold he's taking care of growth and we started working we designed the application from scratch um, we started thinking about both power users and users who don't know what's even a GSI sure. and uh, we, released, we released kind of a version two and I couldn't be more satisfied from what we've created so far and I'm super happy about the state of Dynobase. It's not only helping me, it's helping a lot of my friends. There are already over hundreds of engineers using Dynobase. There are enterprises and teams saying, hey, this is great. Um, and yeah, it was super great uh, thing to make and each of the single dollar I make on the dyno base is much more satisfying than even a thousand dollars you make on consulting on your or day-to-day -day job and that's how it's rolling right, right now right awesome well I mean that's a it's a great story I mean and that's one of those things too where I mean I'm a big fan of open source and I have uh, I've done the same thing I've, I've put a lot of code in open source um, and it's great to see people benefit from it. And you wouldn't be a true AWS user if they didn't rebuild something that you already built too. So that is a common uh, that is a common tale. You implement something and then AWS comes up with something that just solves it for you. Um, but so I think what's really interesting about what you're doing with this product, again, is you're taking a different tact from what, uh, what I think NoSQL Workbench is doing because it's very much so design uh, design specific. And I think you could, you have a lot of those tools as well within Dynobase, but what about like the differences between the console? Because exploring data is just a super pain. So what am I going to see differently if I'm using Dynamo, uh, sorry, if I'm using DynamoDB console versus using Dynobase? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the first thing uh, I've mentioned during my story is that um, working with multiple regions, multiple accounts and multiple uh, tables is much easier because we actually kind of try to replicate the experience that you get in a regular internet browser. You can really easily switch the profile, switch the region, switch the table. You can open multiple tabs. You can have, you can take a look at 20 of your tables across many regions without switching context, logging out, logging in. Um, you know, it, it's a pain. So that's the first thing. You can much faster access your data. Um, the second thing uh, is that we know that many people are not super aware of DynamoDB specifics, for instance, indexes. So we decided to abstract away the concept of indexes, LSIs, GSIs, and stuff like that. Um, the way you query data inside Dynobase is like, um, for instance, you would like to get a user with an email johndoe.com. Let's, let, let's say that's an example. And as a beginner, DynamoDB, you don't know if that field is actually already indexed because probably the table was provisioned by someone else. You don't know how it works. 
So the only thing that you know that is that you would like to see all the records with the association email, johndoe.com. And mm -hmm. in DynamoDB console, you have to switch between query and scan. And I even don't know what this query and scan is. I have to choose some kind of indexes. I don't know what's any of that. So what Dynabase is, is that it automatically figures out if we can use query instead of scan because it's much faster um, for the given attributes, for the things that you're looking for. You can enter many attributes and we can find what's the fastest way to actually get that data. Um, once, you have, once you have those fields filled and we are telling that, hey, um, we'll be using query instead of scan to find this data because it's much easier. Also, um, in AWS console, you are capped to 100 items and you can, you have to switch, you have to click the arrow to get the next page. And it's also slow. If you're running a scan, it sometimes can take even hours. Um, our solution is much faster simply because we use different algorithm used, we use different pagination settings. We are fetching, mm -hmm. we are using uh, search, uh, uh, sorry, scan segments, and it makes this whole thing uh, much, much faster. The last thing is also editing the data because um, in DynamoDB console, you have to open this weird model. And in Dynabase, uh, you can also edit the data in similar fashion, but you also have the same editor that you see in Visual Studio Code. I think it's great IDE. So when you click just edit this item, you see the same editor you see in VS Code and you can edit JSON directly. But you can also uh, click on attribute, double click it and change the value and save it. Uh, we are also doing what most database tools is doing, that we are not immediately committing all the changes to the database. Mm -hmm. We are just, you're just kind of dry running. You are making modifications on your data. Once you've made modifications on, for instance, um, 10 records or 10 entities, you can then decide to save that. And I think it's just much safer. Um, yeah, and we have also a variety of other tools that uh, DynamoDB console does not have. We have a history of queries. We have bookmarks. We are generating the code uh, because sometimes you don't know how to write those expression, expression attribute values, expression attribute names. I remember uh, the first day I started messing up with, uh, with DynamoDB SDK, I had no idea how to write a single filter expression, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem many developers have. They know how to write SQL, but they don't know what are the, how the API works. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that, I mean, that's one of those things too, where I, I just find that to be super interesting where it's like, there's all these little tiny features that can make a product better. And there's simple things like, like the the query history. That's one thing that drives me nuts is that I'll be in the console and I'll search for some ID and then I'll get something back. And then you can't just like open a new window with another thing or like try to you know use a new tab to open something new. It's all like kind of in just embedded. It's, it's really it's really tough to use sometimes. And then you have to go back and make all these different queries. And then you might have to go back, find something, change a record or whatever. Um, and it usually involves opening again multiple windows and things like that. So I love I love how that um, just speeds up the speeds up that development time or that that debugging time, as you said. Um, so you mentioned this idea of writing queries and that you have the ability uh, you know to generate the code for them. And Dino and, and uh, the NoSQL Workbench does as well if you've sort of gone through a more I think more lengthy process, but 
I think just in general, it is not super easy for someone to just write a query. And that's just one of the challenges that I think developers face. So what other challenges do you see uh, you know, DynamoDB developers facing as they're trying to build out a solution? Um, I think that there is just one big challenge and the challenge is interconnected with many smaller challenges. And the challenge is to definite, definitely change your way of thinking from the relational thinking because many developers used to work with Postgres, with MySQL. Then you go to the Dynabase world, uh, to DynamoDB space and there are no joins. Um, you can't cross-reference some tables. You probably uh, hear from some people saying crazy things that you should put all your entities into one table. And it's crazy, right? The first time I've heard that I should put all the data inside one table, it's, it, it, it was really crazy. Um, so this, there, there is an educational gap. I think this is a challenge for developers. Mm -hmm. And there is um, the required, you, you, need to, you need to think differently. You need to unlearn what you've learned already about relational databases. Um, and, and yeah, well, we think that there's still needed, we, we still need educational resources, we still need tools, and there is a massive gap to be closed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just the education either. I think that there's material out there, you know, whether it's Rick Houlihan's um, uh, videos or whether it's uh, Alex Debris' book now, um, you know, there's some, some training courses Certainly, it's an investment to learn DynamoDB and do that. Yeah. But what about the tooling? I mean, obviously, Dynamo, uh, Dynabase is one tool. NoSQL Workbench is another tool. Um, are more tools needed, do you think, for, for people to, to really embrace DynamoDB? Um, that's a good question. I think NoSQL Workbench was definitely needed because if you are aiming to create single table design, that's definitely make it a little bit easier for you. Um, more tooling. I think that, yeah. We still need more tooling because I kind of treat DynamoDB as a low-level service. I mean, mm -hmm. um, in future, I would like to see some kind of abstraction over the single table design. Because if you are already inspecting the table and see all the different in in entities in one table, it kind of feels wrong. Even after working with DynamoDB, I would like to see some kind of abstraction which is separating all that. Um, we need better tooling, and uh, I think that also your modules are also solving that problem. Uh, for instance, the DynamoDB toolbox—it's it's a brilliant tool, which is which is mapping Thank the attributes, you. and uh, yeah, it's 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 super useful. And I think that also, um, I think you also wrote it on Twitter once that there is always. Um, need for more resources and for more tools because the same awesome. phrase rephrased in a different way can resonate with person that is reading it can finally click for that person so the more resources we have the more tools we have the more freedom we have and yeah <laughs> that's only a good thing right right yeah i actually think that's a I, you know and i I love this idea of repackaging, even if it's the same content, but just slightly a different way or a tool that works a different way. And, and as you mentioned, the DynamoDB toolbox is only for Node.js, right? It's just, a, you know, it's JavaScript. So um, that solves a specific problem for, you know, a specific group of people. But 
there's Python um, utilities, there's Java utilities, there's other things, and, and there needs to be more because not everybody likes to deal with the same levels of abstraction. So I, I totally agree with that. So where is Dynabase going though? I mean, are you, you know, what's the roadmap look like? Are you, are you uh, planning on doing some of these other abstractions or what's, what's, on the, what's on the roadmap for you guys? Yeah, sure. Um, so we also have, think we have kind of a mission of closing this gap between how great DynamoDB is and how few developers already know about it. We are aiming to solve that issue from by two things, which is tooling and education. When it comes to education, we are constantly repackaging the content. I mean, like we have great sessions by Kwikulihan, we have a great D book about DynamoDB and it's great. <laughs> but as I mentioned before, I think some things that are repackaged are also kind of beneficial. Maybe just this diagram will work for someone, maybe this sentence said differently will work for someone. Um, so we are constantly writing guides. We are making uh, educational resources to make sure that more people understand, to more people use. And, and yeah, so that's when it comes to um, resources. Um, when it comes to the tooling, we also think that educational gap can be partially closed by tooling. Because imagine you go, imagine you use DynamoDB for the first time. I think there is a um, huge, you, you're gonna approach a, a huge cliff because everything is super different. So what we are aiming to do with, um, with DynaBase is abstract away on complexities and different things about, about DynamoDB and just let them start working with DynamoDB and then figure mm -hmm. out all the details later. Like for instance, you now are able to query the data um, and then you, you can only learn what is GSI. You can query the data and you can also generate the code that is ready to be pasted into your application code. Once you have a code that is following the best practices that is working, you can just go back and see how it's working actually. That, that's the way I got into programming. I started modifying some source files from games, maybe some configuration values, and that's how I learned programming. So I think that when DynaBase is generating code to query um, or to scan, um, it's, it's, it's also helping because it lets you use the database without actually knowing what's happening inside. That's definitely important to know how the database works, but at the very beginning, we can make the process a little bit easier for the people. Um, one thing that we also uh, identified is that most of the backend developers are already familiar with SQL or SQL. Mm -hmm. And you cannot use that language with DynamoDB. So what we have on our roadmap and what, which is the biggest challenge for us is to enable querying DynamoDB with SQL and that way we can just make people use DynamoDB easier. Uh, and, yeah. and yeah, hopefully it will drive bigger adoption. Yeah, well, that'd be really interesting too, is just if you could take some sort of T-SQL parser and, and give it autocomplete and then be able to start typing things in and then maybe even make the suggestions of where, if you wanted to query the data this way, here might be your optimal um, you know, GSIs or here might be the optimal way to store the data and so forth. I think that's one of the tools that I would love to have where it basically just like 
copy my ERD into some system and then have it do some thinking for yeah. me and come back and say, okay, so here are the entities that we wanna create from this. Here's the relationship between the entities and so forth. Hi everyone, I wanted to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Amazon Web Services, and tell you how you can easily automate code reviews and identify expensive lines of code using Amazon Code Guru. Code Guru uses machine learning to perform automated code reviews and recommend application optimizations for your AWS workloads, including your Lambda functions. The Code Guru reviewer finds critical issues and provides intelligent recommendations for resolving code defects directly within your pull requests. And the profiler analyzes your running applications to identify your most expensive lines of code and recommends ways to fix them to reduce CPU utilization, cut compute costs, and improve overall application performance. You can easily identify issues and find and fix code faster with less frustration. Amazon Code Guru is now generally available. To find out more and start optimizing your AWS applications, go to aws.amazon.com slash code guru. Um, but the other thing, and, and this is again, maybe to the education side of it, where I think you've got a lot of um, developers who think um, that working with DynamoDB, and, and maybe I should take a step back because I think I want to ask this question a little bit differently. Uh, the the challenges of working in the cloud and working with serverless, right? This is something I think that is very, very new to a lot of developers. I've interviewed a lot of developers in my day, especially a lot of uh, young kids coming out of school and no offense calling them kids, but they're kids. Um, and they come out of school and they know nothing about the cloud or they know very, very little about it. Like, oh, I used Firebase one time. Um, but they've never developed anything on the cloud and serverless is this foreign concept to them um, because again, their professors are still teaching them how to you know develop on servers? You know what I mean? In, th in that level of thinking, that sort of on-prem uh, type of thinking. So, what are some of those challenges that you see, um, maybe from people just going to the cloud and using serverless technologies? Oh, so there's there are definitely many things because if you are serverless, if you you are using cloud, and if you're using serverless, you definitely need to understand the IIM, and that's right. Yeah. You know really hard thing to get all the policies, roles, users, groups, maybe some even, uh, you know, SSO and all. There is a lot of things that you need to wrap your head, head around. And there are many others primitives inside the cloud that are working um, with uh, serverless. You cannot just think that, you know, I will have a Lambda function because it's serverless and it's many people think that actually serverless is just Lambda. No, there is a a series of services that are working together and there is also like a whole foundation on top of that. Now there is this, this, this distributed way of thinking, I think, where you don't have this local, where you don't have that drive, where you don't have networks. It's, it requires so much more. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I mean, that's, I, I think there's just, just that 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 step from going, you know, from this idea of writing everything monolithically to being able to separate all these little pieces um, and having those things work together. Um, so let me let me change the subject a little bit because I think it, having your experience and knowledge of DynamoDB will be helpful here um, and get some insight into a question that seems to come up all the time, where people say, well, serverless is great for spiky workloads, right? Um, or workloads that barely run, you know, or run 
every once in a while. Um, and so that argument, I don't necessarily agree with because I think that serverless works great because sometimes you have spiky workloads, sometimes things, you know, just just roll straight and you have predictable traffic. And I think that's a, you know, I think that's a smart way to build an application so you don't have to think about the underlying infrastructure. That being said, there's a similar argument that is against DynamoDB where they will say, well, DynamoDB is overkill for a small little project. So if I'm just building, you know, a little side app or a small project internal or something like that, I'll just spin up a MySQL database um, and I'll just write it that way because it's not going to get a lot of traffic. I disagree with that because I like the fact that with DynamoDB, I don't have to think about database uh, backups. I don't have to think about um, you know scalability if for some reason it does, maybe I need to do a bulk load of data into it and maybe the, the database isn't powerful enough or whatever those reasons are. But what are your thoughts on, on that scale argument? I mean, do you think that people, even if they're building something small, should default to DynamoDB or you know, should they be using something else until they get to a point where you know, maybe they need that scale and that, uh, you know, that, that NoSQL backend um, to, to handle massive amounts of traffic? Um, I totally agree with you. I think that they should already go to, to DynamoDB because I feel like this is the database of the future. And you know, if you're, for instance, starting a, a small business, small startup, I think there are two things that you definitely would not like to care about. And I think it's bureaucracy and maintenance. And DynamoDB is this thing which will, lets you set your database and forget it. You don't, you, you don't have to care about maintenance, patching, security, uh, tuning the performance, checking everything works, making it highly available and stuff like that. You get that out of the box. And you know it's gonna be future-proof because AWS engineers will take care of that, and your database probably will upgrade yourself, upgrade itself many times throughout the the project, and you don't have to do anything about it. You just have a reliable data store. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and this way, when you don't have to care about all those things, you can focus on those things that are making you differentiate on the market. You can innovate, you can build, you can focus on application logic. And I think that's the core of innovation that we don't have to, you know, do the grant work. We can be just creative and serverless and the cloud makes this creativity easier. Right. Yeah. And I actually, I, I think the for me, the biggest sort of pro to using something like DynamoDB is if you are not using it, it costs zero dollars. Uh, you know what I mean? And yeah. so if you set up, even if you spin up an Aurora serverless uh, database cluster, and I think you can do one ACU now, um, but it, this still costs maybe $30 a month or something like that to keep that constantly running. And granted, you can shut it down and, and you know have it sleep and some of those things and certainly save yourself money that way. Um, but it's the same argument, I think, with you know spinning up an EC2 server in order to you know write a Node.js app or Python Flask app or something like that where it just seems like if you're getting barely any traffic or you're experimenting, you're trying all these other things, that that cost argument is huge. I mean, I can build as many DynamoDB tables as I want to, and it's most likely in that free storage, which is awesome, right? So I'm not paying, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not paying anything even to store data. I think you get 20 gigs of storage for free or something like that, which is insane. Um, so yeah, I really like that idea of just being able to do these things very quickly and very easily because in, and, and very cheaply, because in the past, 
I would spend, I mean, I remember, I remember this in the, the days before, I mean, I would be spending up multiple EC2 instances. Um, you'd have a, a, a SQL database running or a MySQL database running. And as soon as you put that into production, you couldn't be running just one, right? Yeah. You had to have some sort of replication there. Um, and then you're always worrying about that. You're thinking about failover and all that kind of stuff. All of that stuff goes away when you start using serverless applications. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, great. So let's move on to another topic that I think would um, kind of ties into this. Um, and, and that's this idea of, you know, again, changing your thinking from relational databases to DynamoDB. Um, you know, so what are, the, what are the mental shifts that developers have to do um, in order to go from writing T-SQL and just saying, you know, select star from whatever to, to, to dealing with NoSQL uh, no SQL queries and the and really the limitations that are are added to the types of queries they can run. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that there are two challenges actually. The one is that we are we are learned to always normalize the data. We have you know the, the, the second normal form, the third normal form. We aim to deduplicate the attributes of the data to store them in separate tables in a, in MySQL or Postgres and. You have to unlearn that. The DynamoDB works totally different if you want to use it um, efficiently in one table, and that's that, that's just simply hard. You know, if people were using relational databases for past ten years, and someone says you that no, that that's totally different. You shouldn't do that here. Mm -hmm. um, it requires a lot of effort. And, but the second thing is that. It requires you to be involved in the creation of the application a little bit earlier. Because if you're going to use DynamoDB, you need to know the access patterns because the access patterns are actually shaping your um, data models. And if you would like to be, uh, if you would like to take care uh, of the designing data model responsibly, you need to be involved in the business process. You need to understand the client because. If you understand the client, you can build your access patterns accordingly. Maybe you can interact with them. Maybe you can um, suggest some kind of change. Because once you've committed to the data model, or if there is a requirement passed to you from, from the top, maybe maybe you will realize that some some sometime after going that road, you cannot change something. You cannot alter some decisions. So I think being um, cloud engineer as opposed to software engineer, it requires you to have this broader knowledge and to take broader responsibility. And actually cloud allows us to have more responsibility in the business process because we no longer have so much responsibility in maintaining those underlying services and tools. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's good and it's fun to be in, in, involved in business and in shaping those access patterns. Yeah, because I I think I, I, mean, I totally agree with you. Where when we think about building data for uh, a SQL database, it's it's usually just okay. Well, what fields do we need for this particular entity, and then we can always join them after yeah. uh, afterwards. So that deciding on those access patterns is important. But the other thing I think where I guess the shift needs to be made is. NoSQL might not be right for you, um, for for certain, or NoSQL might not be right for you, depending on what your application is, right? And I know Rick Houlihan talks a lot about this. Um, you know, this this idea that if you're building something where your queries are changing all the time, yeah. 
Um, you know, and then you you move to NoSQL uh, and you say, okay, well, uh, you know, I want to be able to select star from this or want to be able to join this, which you obviously can't do joins, um, not the traditional way anyways in, in NoSQL, um, but that that developers will become disappointed if they put data into into DynamoDB and then realize they don't have that query flexibility. Um, so what what are your thoughts on... on um, like how do we tell developers that? Because it's really hard, I think, for some of them to grasp it. Like, well, if it's a database, I should be able to query it. Um, so what, what's that advice that we give those developers about when they should choose NoSQL? So I, I think that there is a general answer to, to that question because I see developers so many times rushing into implementation without properly researching the topic and without properly knowing the requirements and the limitations of technology. And that also require that also applies to this specific problem. You need to know what are the limitations, both from the technology perspective, and you need to know what are the requirements from the business perspective. Um, if you immediately rush to the implementation, you can realize that, hey, I've made some bad decisions and it's not going to end well. You're probably going to hack some things and it's going to end badly. I, I've seen that and I've been pro in projects like that in before. Uh, so, yeah, lesson learned. Take your time and spend more time on research. Right. Yeah, because I think that's the other thing. It just it hits people in the face if they... If they implement something in NoSQL and then they're like, well, why can't I do X or can't, can't I do Y? Um, so what about uh, ERDs, right? Building your entity relationship diagrams and things like that. That's still something we want people to do, right? Before they before they jump into a, into a NoSQL design. Uh, so I think that it's not going anywhere. We still need those. We need still we still need those for productive discussions for working on on application layer for for you know for for for, for proficient communication but just this concept of translating that to uh, actually how it's going to be stored in dynamodb that part is only different and i think actually we need some kind of better um i don't know spreadsheets abstractions tools to visualize how those things are evolving from ERDs to different shapes and forms, how the data is structured and stored and then translated back to a business domain. Yeah, totally agree. So that's that's another tool that we can solve. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be great, right? That's what I said. I mean, I would love that. I'd love that ERD input tool that just spits out, hey, here's how you want to structure your your uh, your DynamoDB yeah. table, your NoSQL table. So, um, all right, so another thing that, I think it comes up a lot, especially with single table design, uh, is this idea of, well, how how many entities do you put into a single table? So if you're building some really large application, uh, you know, are we putting, you know, hundreds of different entity types in the same table? Um, and I always say, no, we want to use a separate table for each microservice. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it all depends on a project and all the, the, all the things that are specific to, the, to your use case, to your requirements. Um, you can definitely interact. I think many microservices can interact with one single table because thanks to really granular IIM policies, you can, for instance, restrict the access from one Lambda function to only specific DynamoDB records inside the table using, um, I think, leading keys and, and attribute types or something like that. You can tell mm -hmm. that this Lambda function has an access to this grand single table 
with all the entities, but it can only interact with the entities of type which begins with ID, for instance, I don't know, payment or invoice or something like that. So it's definitely doable. Um, also, I think there is also a sentence in uh, AWS documentation saying that the most, um, the best designed applications require only single table. Uh, so it kind of contradicts, but it also contradicts with the, what Amplify is doing. Yeah. So I, I think AWS is not having a, one singular statement on that. And, you know, it changes case by case. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also depends on how you define application, right? So, I mean, if you yeah. if you have a, a, a service that has a, uh, you know, a payment service or you have an application that has a payment service and a user service, things like that, each one of those services could be considered separate applications and you'd be storing the data, you know, differently that yeah. way. I mean, certainly what you don't want to do, at least... I guess more best practices from a microservices perspective is you don't want to be storing data uh, across bounded contexts, you know, in the same table or in the same database. Uh, you want to keep those separate so that you, you one service can't update data in another service without using a formal contract through an API or, or some other uh, method to do that. Um, all right. So what about some of the patterns, though, that you can build off of that? Right. So, I mean, we know we've got DynamoDB streams. Um, so if you are building separate tables for individual microservices or individual applications, obviously you need to be able to potentially share some data back and forth. Um, but what are some of the patterns that that sort of allows you to implement? Um, so we can definitely use event sourcing and command query response aggregation. Thanks for, for instance, to DynamoDB streams, you can react on the changes that are pushed to the DynamoDB tables. And actually, I think that DynamoDB streams are also solving some of the problems of DynamoDB. For instance, there is always this analytics requirement of all the projects that you sometimes need to aggregate some right. value. In DynamoDB, if you want to query, if you want to, for instance, sum the value of all the items inside the table, it's not going to end well because you need to run a scan through the, all the records and probably merge it, reduce it, run some really complicated process. Um, thanks to DynamoDB streams, you can aggregate the value just in time in, and always have that attribute, um, that updated value. Uh, and you don't have to run the query on demand. You can always have the result on some kind of aggregation whenever you want that. Um, it requires a little bit of work and it requires a little bit of education and, and, and there is also a change in thinking required, but it's definitely um, doable. Yeah, no, and I and one of the great patterns that I really like too is this idea of just using DynamoDB streams to take the data and put it into an Aurora serverless database as well, um, because you can just use a small instance. Um, you know, if there's too much pressure on the database, then obviously that can back off because DynamoDB streams will you know just build up. I mean, I wouldn't use it for translating you know like clickstream data into a uh, uh, into a MySQL database, but certainly for you know uh, applications that are just you know create, read, update, delete type stuff, um, it's a very cool way to have that extra data there for you with um, multiple things that you can do with it. And like you said, I mean, you can push that off into event bridge or you know do some sort of event sourcing with it. Um, so very, very cool stuff. So another thing about education, and you, you've, you've mentioned education many, many times, and one of the things that you're doing on top of Dynabase is you have a DynamoDB newsletter. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, each week we are gathering some interesting articles and videos and 
probably we were also sharing some live sessions from AWS. And that's also kind of part of our mission to share the good content. So we decided to start a DynamoDB newsletter something like 20 weeks ago, I guess somewhere around that. And then, yeah, you can sign up and we'll deliver to your inbox the best resource we can find. So you don't have to spend whole day on Twitter like I do. <laughs> and yeah, feel free to join. Awesome. Well, I am a subscriber. I love the newsletter because, again, I like reading great content about DynamoDB. And uh, unless you are just trolling Twitter all day, it is very hard to uh, to find that. So that that aggregation of that data is uh, is very, very helpful. And sometimes I take some of those articles and I put them in my newsletter. So um, uh, thank you for sourcing those for me as well. Um, anyways, Rafal, thank you so much for for taking the time to 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 talk to me today and obviously for uh, for Dynabase. Um, so if people want to find out more about Dynabase or more about you, how do they do that? Uh, just go to dynobase.dev. That, that's our homepage of our product. If you want to approach me, I think the best way is just to find me on Twitter. It's Rafal Wolinski. And I'm pretty sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to be included in the description of this podcast because it's it's different. It's, it's difficult to spell for <laughs> non-Polish people. <laughs> and um, yeah, just, just go to dynobase.dev or Twitter and that's it. All right. Awesome. I will get all that in the show notes so they will be able to spell your name. Thanks again, Rafal. Thank you. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Rafal Walinski for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Amazon Web Services. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 56. For more serverless chats, subscribe, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week. <laughs>